nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see. Nothing to see. Nothing to see. Experimental radio produced by NASCAD University. You are listening to Nothing to See Here. Experimental radio from NASCAD University. This week's episode is entitled Architectures of Smell. Sometimes, when I remember a place that I've visited, I'm confused between remembering the actual place that I went to and remembering how I imagined it would be like before I went there. In my memory, both experiences seem equally real. It surprises me that I will always be part of only one historical moment at a time, and that I leave myself behind. I always feel like I am in those moments that I've left behind, and I've stripped away something of myself to make it to now. When you sleep, you have no choice about what you remember. When you are awake, you have no choice about what to forget. How can I make myself forget in the same way that I force myself to remember? They were happy, if only in theory. She was a part-time protagonist in an off-Broadway musical based on European dessert menus. They enjoyed destroying each other's confidence. It had become a habit. It had become sport. There was a little asterisk in each corner of her day planner, indicating the days that she woke up crying. She wept often and hard. On her days off, she would cry even harder. He suffered from allergies. He was convinced allergies were caused by ghosts. Every sneeze was a prayer, an exorcism. They were ugly people in an ugly time which comforted them. She longed to go back to work because work provided her with an emotional dam to hold back her tears. And like a dam, this pent-up grief created a reservoir of emotional energy, a pent-up sexual backwater which she aimed strategically at her co-workers.
and leaving her post-it notes explaining his state of mind. His appetite for expressing himself through post-it notes was, however, insatiable. It became overbearing. Soon, he no longer needed to actually write anything on these notes. The simple application of the notes to kitchen counters, the phone book, bookshelves, the front door, the bathroom mirror, the ceiling fan, the back of the cuckoo clock, the inside of her shoes, on the sidewalk, by her car, inside her car, on mangled pop cans in the street, on telephone poles, stood for everything that he could possibly think of expressing, and so he left them blank. Two people are sitting in a laundromat. A man comes in and takes out his laundry and puts it in the dryer. He asks the people that are there if they'll watch it for him. He comes back to find that the two people are still sitting there, but they are wearing his clothes. He checks his dryer and the clothes are not there. He asks them about his clothes, and they say they haven't seen them. He gets angry and accuses them of stealing his clothes, and they casually say no. He gets angry and leaves the laundromat. This story speaks to the futility of our understanding the world. In the story the man leaves his clothes in the dryer and he hopes that the two people in the laundromat will watch his clothes for him. This is obviously a metaphor for our sense of our own identity. When the man comes back and sees that the people appear to be wearing his clothes, this is speaking to an existential crisis about whether we are, in fact, in charge of our own selves. I think that the story has theological implications. The man has had to clean his clothes and this, of course, can mean that he is trying to cleanse himself of sin. But when he comes back and it seems that the others are wearing his clothes, this means that he cannot cleanse himself of sin until the others acknowledge his sin. They have taken on his sins and are wearing them for him but the man doesn't realize this and gets angry. 
He cannot let go of his attachment to sin. For me this story speaks to the impossibility of achieving authenticity. It shows how we cannot establish even the simplest bond of trust. The laundry obviously stands in for the idea of idealization. The ideals of fraternity and brotherhood with strangers are shattered as events proceed. This allegory is one of self-reliance and the need for assertion. He should not leave at the end, but should confront the people who stole his clothes This is based on a true story. I heard about it and it turns out that when the man comes back to the laundromat, those two dudes are not the ones he has to look after his clothes. They're two different people but he don't know that. I don't know what that means, but it must be important. This never happened. There was never a laundromat. Somebody just made this up. Is this supposed to be funnier or something? I don't know. I just don't know. So the guy doesn't have his clothes. There's no lesson here. There's no meaning. When I go do my laundry, I stay there, cause then no one's going to be taking my stuff. Why does this even have to mean anything? Stuff just happens. Do we have to figure it out? Does every little thing have some kind of cosmic meaning? That's crazy. Well, I'm not going to figure it out. That's for sure. I don't know what it all means. You can count me out.
Number one, a man chewing his nails. Number two, a man making a stack of cards. Number three, a man making music with his mouth. Number four, walking on all fours. Number five, a card trick. Number six, sticking his tongue out at a mirror. Number seven, brushing his teeth. Number eight, making hand shadows. Number nine, taking liberties with a written text. Number 10, preparing his taxes. Number 11, changing a diaper. Number 12, making excuses for burning the rice. Number 13, talking about something he has very little knowledge about. Number 14, casting around for a good metaphor. Number 15, wasting his time on a game that involves no skill. Number 16, changing the direction of his thinking. Number 17, combing his hair, even though it makes little difference. Number 18, having a pillow fight. Number 19, changing a light bulb. Number 20, watching his weight. Number 21, making an unremarkable sandwich. Number 22, posing a question for which he has no answer. Number 23, missing an important step in the process. Number 24, playing the fool. Number 25, designing a plausible excuse. Number 26, telling a harmless lie. Number 27, mispronouncing a name. Number 28, trying to remember how to spell a word. Number 29, placing a bet he won't win. Number 30, translating a difficult idea into something he can understand. Number 31, wondering if he isn't just being superstitious. Number 32, lighting a match without needing to. Number 33, spilling salt and leaving it alone. Number 34, trying to remember what his grandmother was like. Number 35, feeling a sudden pang of guilt. Number 36, taking longer than he needed to. Number 37, passing his prime. Number 38, walking too fast. Number 39,
himself with a significant piece of paper. Number 40. Changing his mind under the influence of somebody more strong-willed than himself. Number 41. Adverting his gaze. Number 44. Feeling too tired to want to bother. Number 45. Wondering what he will be like in 10 years. Number 46. Seeing somebody who reminds him of himself. Number 47. Making an absurd comment for the sake of argument. Number 48. Finding it in his heart. Number 49. Trying to learn a new language. Number 50. Picking up the check. Number 51. Tasting the wine before serving. Number 52. Sharpening a pencil with a knife. Number 53. Thinking about what his death will be like. Number 54. Typing a letter of recommendation for a friend. Number 55. Making a mistake. Number 56. Toasting a friend. Number 57. Wondering where the time goes. Number 58. Feeling like he's treating himself. Number 59. Having the feeling that he has forgotten to take something with him. Number 60. Complimenting somebody he's just met. Feeling like he's being misunderstood. Number 62. Helping to clean up afterwards. Number 63. Waiting for the light to change. Number 64. Crowding those around him. Number 65. Wasting away. Number 66. Relinquishing his powers. Number 67. Imagining his life as a Hollywood film. Number 68. Scratching a scab that seems not to heal. Number 69. Losing himself in a book. Number 70. Phasing in and out of an overheard conversation. Number 71. Writing a list. Number 72. Touching an object that he will buy. Number 73. Claiming to have friends in high places. Number 74. Shaking hands. Number 75. Working towards a deadline. 
Number 76. Trying to get his priorities straight. Number 77. Caught in an awkward situation. Number 78. Making new friends. Number 79. Wanting things to be different. Number 80. Being complacent. Number 81. Breaking something in anger. Number 82. Playing piano by ear. Number 83. Talking in his sleep. Number 84. Having his hair cut. Number 85. Deciding what kind of music to listen to. Number 86. Thinking himself lucky. Number 87. Eating too fast. Number 88. Scolding his hand. Number 89. Repeating what he has heard was said. Number 90. Humming a tune. Number 91. Running the risk. Number 92. Being thankful he doesn't smoke. Number 93. Chalking it up to experience. Number 94. Losing his temper. Number 95. Gently tugging on his earlobe. Number 96. Walking away from it. Number 97. Taking responsibility. Number 98. Dreaming of a brighter future. Number 99. Attempting to balance a pencil on the end of his finger. Number 100. Raising the stakes. Number 101. Making fun of it. Number 102, not being able to let go. Number 103, hitting his stride. Number 104, tripping the night fantastic. Number 105, pacing himself. Number 106, judging himself by the accomplishments of his peers. Number 107, walking a thin line. Number 108, trying to remember a dream.
number 109. Yeah, it is different. It's different. I mean, I think in 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 one way, um, it might even be emphasized. Like the difference might be emphasized because it's um, also on a wall by itself. But but it's um. But my thought, the thought behind it, David, is that like if if these are like smells, representations of smells. Um, there's so many different smells that some are allowed to be kind of to have a certain, certain kind of symmetry to them. Some are, you know, some are allowed oh. to be, you know, so, oh, so, 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 so all these things are the smells coming off of the objects. All, all of these things are, all of that kind of abstraction is the, the smell that that dog would be engaging with, yeah. like as they're moving through the forest or whatever. Yeah. So that, so that, so the, the, the diversity, because at this point, like I, the idea is to have about 150 feet of, of a walk with a dog, and so I, I think it's a little over halfway there. No, stop. But but so the diversity will hopefully allow all of the stuff that um, is to sit comfortably together. But who, I mean, well, that's what this is the whole. It's funny because uh, just that little diagram there. Uh, I came across this book when I was doing research in New York, like wait, a long, long time ago. Uh, this, it's a book called Occult Chemistry. Oh yeah. It was written by Charles Ledbetter and Annie Besant, who are the theosophists. And uh, they had um, it was occult, a, what, occult? occult chemistry. Sorry, okay. chemistry. Okay. Yeah. And they um, they had. Uh, it was at the time when the periodic table was incomplete, so they had taken it upon themselves to discover new chemical elements oh, yeah. by having a seance. And so they would have this seance, and they discovered like these new elements in between, like helium and hydrogen. And they, they discovered this one called occultium, they decided to call it. Oh, really? But, but then they, they had these visions, and they, used, they would find these diagrams, and they would write them, they would draw them out. And so I remember I couldn't take the book out, so I would draw these diagrams out. And it looks a lot like that. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so these are like occult chemis- chemistry symbols uh, to me. That's very nice. That's yeah. very nice. Thomas was just saying, uh, it's interesting to give shape to something that is... Um, definite form. Definite form to something. Yeah, you say. Smiles and medium is formed by the principles of diffusion, stating that... Uh, what? Oh, <laughs> that, uh, it will... Ex- smell will generally expand to fill the container, which is, for example, if you put a bottle of vinegar at one end of the room, eventually at the other end of the room, you'll be able to smell it mm-hmm. by listening to concentration. It's interesting that you've given such finite form to diffusion, essentially. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I think that there are some, some of the forms that play more with, like, the, the idea of moving through yeah. space or something yeah. like that yeah. um, but that but that the idea about the definite form really has to do with uh, 
what I what I what I understand is a difference between a dog and a person. Like, and it's not like I actually know the difference because I we will I'll never know it. But but I remember talking to this dog expert and about smells and him saying um, his understanding about dogs and smell is that dogs that smell is like an, like creates an architecture that the dog understands the world through, and that's the power of the dog's experience of smell as different from ours. And in, in a sense, that, that is a little bit about where the definite form comes from. That's nice, that's lovely. Huh. But it's, but yeah, time around. The first time around has no conclusion, just a gradual disintegration into a self. As we come around, there comes a feeling of dread or of reassurance. We have feelings that connect us back to the eternal return. Revolution number two. Laws, procedures, debates, motions passed, motions defeated. A debacle, a rout, a discussion blurring the boundaries and erasing firm convictions. More laws, other procedures, a vigorous debate about the issues that leads to a deeply divided populace. 
Revolution number three. During this revolution, you pass through the solid objects only retaining your sense of smell. You travel through territories of smell, following your nose. Revolution number four. It could be that this revolution will never happen. If it does, it will be an instant, barely noticeable, when your attention is elsewhere. It may remain unnoticed and be contained within its own moment, never to slip out into the stream of everyday existence. Revolution number five. This has been, or will be, the one that stands out. The one that we can all refer to with certainty that after this, nothing was the same. How, after all things considered, could we have let things turn out this way? Revolution number six. This was nobody's fault at all. Revolution number seven. Constructing a belief system out of the small blocks, basic units, and removing all the pieces that don't fit, and relegating them to systems of disbelief. On the one hand, nobody really knows where the line is drawn, but any artificial measuring device has its uses. Revolution number eight. Number eight. We've considered canceling this revolution because it seems that it conflicted with many people's schedules. Some people have barbecues that they have to attend. Someone was working on a puzzle, removing the pieces that didn't fit, and several people were out on walks. The person in charge of the phone tree was sick of it all, and those clever ANSI machine messages, it can get too much altogether. Revolution number nine. 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 Number nine.
let's say, let's say the revolution has failed. Okay, the revolution has failed. Everybody, long live the revolution. Long live the revolution. No, no, cut. Let's say, let's say the revolution has failed. Okay, the revolution has failed. Everybody, long live the revolution. Long live the revolution. No, no, cut. Let's say, let's say the revolution has failed. Okay, the revolution has failed. Everybody, long live the revolution. Long live the revolution. No, no, cut. Let's say, let's say the revolution has failed. Okay, the revolution has failed. Everybody, long live the revolution. Long live the revolution. No, no, cut. Let's say, let's say the revolution has failed. Okay, the revolution has failed. Try to imagine, if you will, that you are a machine. That's right, you are just a machine. Mechanical parts moving together to create the movements, sounds, thoughts that a human being makes. You're not a human being though, you're a machine. And one of the thoughts that this machine has as a machine is what would it be like to have the thoughts of a human being? Can you imagine yourself having such thoughts? the way that memory reduces things to a dull, flat landscape. The that which has happened. Memory locks things in, makes them unchangeable. Sometimes I find myself envying amnesiacs, who can be more uncertain about their past. They can experience their past with an intoxicating uncertainty. If we could know our future, would we want to go on? If there was no possibility of changing our destiny, could we ever really live? The power to believe in yourself is the power that can change destiny. The past, present, and future are all happening simultaneously. From our perspective, the past is something that has already happened. 
If you believe there is fate, then you can't change it. Your destiny is shaped according to the combination of conditions predetermined at birth and other factors that you are able to change through your own efforts. It is not in the stars to hold our destiny, but in ourselves. Destiny is the prisoning chain of the ignorant. Time does not pass, and the past and future are as real as the present. If your common sense rebels against this idea, it is probably for a single reason. The arrow of causality. Events in the past cause events in the present, which cause events in the future. If time really is like space, then shouldn't events from the future influence the present and past, too? Retrocausality is primarily a thought experiment addressing whether the future can affect the present and whether the present can affect the past. All impermanent phenomena arise and dissolve in us are made interdependent by us, counselessly. For cause and effect are a single movement, an interwoven dance of being, expressions of the same creative existence. All impermanent are made interdependent by us, counselessly. Phenomena arise and dissolve in us, affect the past, affect the present, and whether the present can counselessly, too. Retrocausality in an interwoven dance creative existence. Expressions of primarily a thought experiment present can affect Desire. if time really is like space. sitting 
is two people sitting on chairs. One is reading a newspaper. Uh, the other is looking looking out the window. Um, one one guy turns and um, is, tries to talk to the other guy. Oh, one guy looks older than the other. He's about 30. And the guy reading the newspaper is about 22, 23. Uh, it's daytime. It's a city. There's cars going by. Um, a man enters the laundromat. He's um, He's got a bag, a duffel bag with him. Uh, he's wearing a cap and a jacket. Um, he comes in, he kind of ignores those two guys. Um, he um, he just uh, he takes the clothes out of his bag, puts them on the bench, and then he uh, he, uh, he he selects a dryer. He puts the clothes, starts just putting the clothes in the dryer. Um, two guys don't seem to be noticing him too much. Um, so he finishes that. He gets all his clothes in, and uh, he's kind of looking at his watch and uh, puts the coins in. And he's going over to the other two guys and just talks to them. Uh, the guy in the newspaper kind of looks up. The other guy kind of ignores him. Just a brief conversation sort of nods his head over yeah anyway, ch he, uh, checks his watch again and then he's uh, he's gone he's uh, he's off he uh, leaves so the uh, guy's just waiting around the one guy um, gets up and uh, walks over to uh, there's a machine there we can get candy bars and candy and stuff like that he uh, just uh, picks up picks up something from his from the ground. Looks like he's found a quarter and he checks his pocket and uh, takes out some change and gets himself a candy bar. grabs the candy bar and he goes back. Not much happens here, more the same. Um, a woman comes in with her young daughter. They just go and go to the back and they're checking on their laundry and then uh, uh, they leave. Eventually, the man comes back, uh, the man who put the laundry in the, the, the laundromat, and he um, comes in, and just his, his laundry is done. He opens the door and, and uh, takes his laundry out, and he shoves it back in his duffel bag. Kind of nods at the, those two guys, uh, uh, the guy and the reading the newspaper and the other guy the uh kind of the newspaper kind of nods at him 
it backs up. He leaves. He leaves. Nothing happens for a while. The light kind of changes. Uh, maybe it's a cloud passing overhead. And um, um, the guy eating the chocolate bar is just sitting there. He finishes his chocolate bar and he looks over at the other guy who's reading the newspaper and he says something to him, uh, but he doesn't respond. He, uh, yeah, so he, he talks to him again, kind of nudges him, and then, and then he kind of gets very scared and he... He, he looks at him and, and... You have been listening to Nothing to See Here. Experimental radio produced at Nascat University. This week's episode was entitled Architectures of Smell. This program included audio excerpts from Vito Aconchi's Red Tapes and a conversation recorded with artist Matthew Reichardt's at his exhibition Dog Park at Hermes Gallery in Halifax. This program was written by David Clark. Sound design and sound mixing were by David Clark. Nothing to See Here is an experimental radio program produced at NASCAD University in Halifax. For more information, please go to Facebook and search for Nothing to See Here Radio. To listen to more episodes of Nothing to See Here, search Nothing to See Here Radio on SoundCloud.com. Tune in next week for more of Nothing to See Here.